You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton, and you're listening to Out of the Box, the marketing podcast exploring out-of-the-box approaches to marketing and growth. Today, I'm joined by Guy Leal, angel investor and founder of the award-winning influencer marketing platform, Hyper, which she sold to Julius Works in April 2020. Gil is a thought leader in the influencer marketing space. He's delivered keynotes at notable conferences like Influencer Marketing Days in New York and Influencing Marketing Hub in London. And I'm super stoked to be able to pick his brain on this episode. Gil, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess if, if, if we're going to start somewhere, could you give us a little thumbnail history of where you started in marketing, what led you to found uh, Hyper and, and what you've been doing since you've sold the company? Yeah, you know, I I was I'm a reformed lawyer, um, so I'm one of those guys who who went through a path that uh, was planned early on and realized it wasn't right for him. And then I decided in 2009 I got an MBA and started working as a digital marketer, initially in the social gaming space, uh, where it was very very rigorous, very focused on uh, A/B testing and just ensuring that we maximize every single penny we spend on acquiring new customers, but found myself uh, looking for additional channels as these channels were getting uh, challenged. So in 2009, when I was doing digital marketing, Facebook wasn't as sophisticated. It was very easy to acquire customers on that platform, and it became much harder over time. And I started looking for additional channels. I felt like traditional channels were just too too difficult um, and too competitive. So I found myself doing celebrity endorsements, initially one or two, and then eventually about 200 different celebrity endorsements for brands that wanted to get promotion uh, and seek credibility and visibility uh, by partnering with different celebrities. And as I was doing that, it it became apparent that uh, there's a much bigger market that's um, becoming uh, available with with micro-influencers or people who are on social networks and suddenly we could measure and evaluate and discover who's influential on different topics as opposed to just who's famous or who was on a TV show, who's talking about specific topics and um, what happens when they talk about those topics and which audiences interact with them. And I started Hyper in 2013, which focused on trying to create technology to identify and automate activation of these types of influencers. I ran it for about eight years and and sold it last year. and uh, have been since then. I've been doing some angel investing and things like that, uh, specifically in companies where I think they could benefit from celebrities or, or influencer endorsements. So that's kind of my my last uh, fifteen years in a nutshell. Amazing. So I I, I want to click into hyper a little bit because you talked about you know, micro influencers versus mega influencers, and I guess we'll talk a little bit more, or I'd like to talk a little bit more about influencers in the next couple of minutes. But who are who are the users? So who is coming to uh, to actually use the services of the influencers? So in general, what we saw was that the world of celebrity endorsements was interesting to almost every consumer-facing company. Right? Everybody wanted to have somebody who would get attention. And, and often, we also had a challenge with credibility, which is really hard to address with traditional marketing. So if I tell you, hey, I have... Um, medicine that'll grow your hair back, you know, it's, you know, on your head, it's very unlikely that you'll believe me because you'll be skeptical. You've seen a lot of things that don't work and I could do is I can run as many Facebook or Google ads as I want. You're always going to think it's, it's skeptical. But if I, if I 
showed you a video of 30 days usage by say the rock and you had a full head of hair at the end, then you would say, okay, maybe there's something real here. I believe it. Um, so what we, what we realized was that traditional marketing, the automated channels weren't able to answer every need that marketers had. And with hyper, what we tried to do is identify those types of clients. And what we found was that there were significantly, big budgets with smaller companies. It doesn't have to be Nike. It doesn't have to be Coca-Cola. It can be um, a gaming company or it could be a fashion company or a beauty company. And they would have anywhere from um, tens of thousands to millions of dollars to spend every month that they used to spend just on acquisition and they could suddenly work with influencers. But the challenge was how do they find them? How do they activate them at scale? Because you really need a lot of influencers to get your message across. And our goal was to get people to be able to activate hundreds of influencers at once. Um, the, the, the down the road, you know, hyper, when we look at it, you know, eight years in had about 400 major clients, which were clients who were paying north of say 40 or $50,000 a year and hundreds of uh, uh, at any given moment, hundreds of smaller clients who were paying, for activations in um, on specific campaigns, and it was typically all uh, you know direct to consumer brands or, or agencies. Right. Okay. So th- so that's that's interesting. I'd like to come back to that in a minute, but I also want to spend uh, a couple of seconds on the difference between micro influencers, which you mentioned you were looking to get brands using tens or hundreds of influencers to help market their products, versus the sort of mega influencers. And if we think, you know, I don't know. Kardashians at, the, yeah. at some point. So h- how do you tailor an influencer marketing strategy to either focus on one of those two or to mix the two together? How does that work? So, you know, that it changes over time and it's really interesting. It used to be that if you had a relationship with the Kardashians that uh, at least apparently would create tremendous reach and conversion but what happens with these larger celebrities is that people get skeptical. They, they do too many campaigns. People start saying, okay, I understand, you know, these guys are doing campaigns, they're getting paid. And so what we saw that in the early days, working with these big celebrities or big influencers was very effective in that um, over time, only certain campaigns were working as well with those types. So if, if there was a real connection to the product, or if you look at something like Jessica Alba, where, where she really stands behind the products at the Honest Company and puts her name and, and credibility behind them. Um, and it, it's not really affordable for most of the players in the market to take such a big risk. You know, if you want to work with a Kardashian, you have to lay down hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars before you've seen any results. And that's just not something that works for 99% of the companies. So introducing uh, micro-influencers into the market was a no-brainer. These are people that have an audience, have influence, but aren't monetizing that audience and really, really want to work with these companies. But it created a whole new set of problems. With the Kardashians, you have to work with their management, you have to do a deal, and it's it's kind of traditional. You have a lawyer, you negotiate with their lawyer, and you do it. With micro-influencers, there's a whole mess. You know, okay, how do I... Um, identify all the influencers that I need to work with? How do I estimate how much I should pay each one of them? How do I deal with the fact that one of them responded today and another one responds in a week and another one doesn't respond? And they say they'll do it, but they don't do it at the right time. And I can't track each one of them to make sure that they're not um, uh, um, spamming me or creating um, fake clicks on our posts. 
So there's a whole new set of issues working with these micro influencers that uh, requires technology as opposed to working with the big name celebrities, which requires really minimal technology. It's just them posting and you tracking it. Um, when you have 400 micro influencers working, you really need technology to be able to make sure that their posts go live on time, that you're tracking their performance and compensating them accordingly, that you're avoiding fraud. Um, and so there's a whole world of technology to build around it. So when you're talking about worlds of technology, we're actually talking both about a marketplace of discovery as well as streamlining the back office. Is that right? Yeah, and, and that's part of the reason. If you look at the, the space today, you'll see that there are probably 700 companies in the space, I think last time I checked, wow. doing on paper the same thing. But if you go in deep, you'll see that they have very, very different approaches. So some companies will have you post an RFP and then have influencers apply to, to try to get um, you to choose them. And then other companies like Hyper will have huge databases where you can search and reach out to influencers um, and get them to opt in. Uh, before you've even written out your campaign and a lot of in between and then a lot of technology anywhere from automation to track link uh, clicking to um, other technologies to understand how well each influencer is performing what their audience demographics are um, and, um, and and also just to manage a large amount of influencers posting at once so think about it, if you have to activate 10 people or if you have to activate 100 people how much work that generates how much exponential work that generates to coordinate everything in time for sure uh, mm -hmm. for sure so so i want to i want to come back to something that you mentioned earlier so you said that most of the clients that were were seeking out the services of influencers were mainly d2c brands or agencies do you think that there's there's a place for uh, you know say a, a, a mobile app or, or or people in that sort of space? If we go back to your original uh, uh, your original work in in social gaming, it, it would seem that there's a match there, right? But but it doesn't sound like that was the case for Hyper. No, actually, I meant uh, you know B to C, as in uh, anybody who's really focusing on uh, consumer focused. And apps have been one of the most successful areas where it worked. One of the things that you can do um, with social influencers that you can't really do with traditional marketing is really go down the funnel. So it's not just about installation, but it's about really engaging with the influencers on the apps. So we've done things where we've gotten games to the top of the app store by having you um, play with the influencers. So we've had, um, for example, games similar to like words with friends where you would play against influencers. And so it created a whole, um, it created a whole uh, environment where their entire fan base was in the game, and then re-engaging with the game and coming in again and again. And as you, you know, at Iron Source, you guys definitely know, it's not just about the installs. It's about you know, way more important is you know, what is your first day retention, first week retention, first month retention. So you can do a lot to encourage those later metrics that, are, or those deeper metrics that really matter for these apps and. It's very, very effective in doing so. Again, really on the consumer side. I haven't seen, I know people talk about B2B influencer marketing. I haven't seen too many great successes in that space. Um, but in the consumer side, uh, you can create a real emotional connection and a real, um, a real desire to come back again and again that 
and give the product a try because just like songs, you know, sometimes you hear a song the first time, it doesn't really click. And then after you hear it the third time, it gets stuck in your head. I believe that products in general and apps especially often require you to use them more than once before you get addicted and before you really like them. And that's what influencers can do really well for you. I love that comparison to songs getting stuck in your head because that happens to me absolutely all the time. So I can identify with that uh, for sure. I also like the idea that that brands or app developers are actually leveraging the influencer's presence within the app. Do you think that that drives a difference in performance measurement or KPIs after the fact if if app developers or marketers are are using that uh, synergy? Extremely. I mean, the the industry has really shifted. If you're if you're just paying influencers to post on Instagram and hope they drive traffic, that's not going to do anything for you today. But what we see and what we recommend for people to do is to in, incorporate the influencers into the app. So anywhere from like if you hit you know if it's a game and you get to a certain level, you get to play against or with the influencer, or you actually get to join a clan and be with the influencer, or you win things that are related to the influencer. But they require you to be active over time. So it's no longer just the influencers delivering an install, uh, but actually uh, continues to work with everybody who's um, who's downloaded and, and installed the app to get them to go through a specific uh, process until they get addicted. You know, back in the day when I worked at Playdom, one of the things that we, and this is you know more than 10 years ago, our, our goal was to get people to complete the tutorial. We just knew that if you completed the tutorial, you were way more likely to to continue using the game. And then, you know, there were different things to, to ensure that you also spend in the game and things like that. So um, one way was to A-B test the tutorial all, you know, to death and improve it by a fraction of a percent all the time. But the the, ne- the, the next thing is really, okay, if, you know, if you ensure that by completing the tutorial, there's an outside reward that's really meaningful. So maybe you get something related to do with the influencer that brought you into the game, or you get some engagement, or you get something that you can show the community. Those things really drive a level of engagement, a level of um, uh, um, retention that... Um, is extremely efficient and when done right, uh, can break the metrics chart completely. So if I'm getting you correctly, I'm thinking now from, you know, from, from my standpoint, which, you know, I work on sort of with, with operations teams, with UA teams, uh, marketing teams in, in with many app developers, I'm thinking there's gotta be a whole feedback system back into their product teams and really be able to support that sort of, uh, uh, a development or a marketing presence, because really there's there's a lot going on beyond just regular gameplay, for example. Yeah, no, 100%. And, uh, you know, I mean, anybody who's worked in a gaming company knows that uh, most of them are first and foremost data companies with like a, a gaming front end sometimes. Um, where no, I'm not saying that the games aren't great, but at the end of the day, the, the really, really good ones, you know, the, the Supercells, the Zingas, the, you know, they have a really, really good understanding of what drives users to do certain things and how to um, get them to be more active. And um, I don't—I wouldn't say the industry is there yet, but I think it, it's moving in that direction where activating influencers should provide similar levels of feedback so that you know not only which clients they drove or which uh, users they drove, but also um, how good are they at um, really... Uh, the metrics that matter to you, which, you know, typically in the gaming space is, you know, what does it cost me to acquire a user, but also how deep can I get them into the game and how can, what percentage of them end up using it long-term and, and spending money in the game and, um, 
and how viral those users are, which is another thing we can leverage the influencers to do by getting them uh, simply by winning an, an award related to the influencer or doing something related to the influencer, we're creating viral activity because people want to brag about it. Um, so all those metrics need to be measured and um, it's a, influencers in general is a space that hasn't been measured well for ever since it, it really had this revival in the last 10 years. Um, but I suspect it will very soon. Interesting. I like that we've gone down this sort of gaming rabbit hole because it leads me into another sort of a question about the actual platforms that influencers are using and that marketers can be leveraging. Because if I think gaming, I think Twitch. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, then there's Instagram, TikTok, uh, podcasts. There's all sorts of platforms that any marketer could choose from. What do you think are the, the major differences or, or the driving factors between choice of platform or should the average marketer be be spreading across platforms? So I think it really varies by the product itself. Um, AAA games or you know really really visual games do well on on Twitch, and I think that um, the challenge is potentially that Twitch is competitive, right? If you want to, you're, you're not going to get the really really big names on Twitch unless you have a really, really big budget and the smaller names are just not going to be as effective. It's also a platform that isn't um, as welcoming as you want for third-party advertisers uh, unless they work through the Twitch platform. Um, and in which case you're not going to be activating influencers, you'll be buying media around their their Twitch streams. So Twitch can be a, good, a great fit for very strong visual games or, or, you know, kind of AAA games or something where you really enjoy watching other people play. And you can maybe, you know, if they're multiplayer, that's even better because then you can play against them. And that creates a really good opportunity to engage people. Um, but um, depending on your target audience, they may not be on Twitch. You know, um, we, we all know that a huge audience base for casual games doesn't go on Twitch. They go on their... House, housewives, you know, at home when they're when their kids are in school or things like that, uh, or that have or that have some free time before they go to bed and they like to play slots or or uh, Candy Crush and those those people aren't watching those games on on Twitch, and so you kind of have to fit your um, platform to the target audience, um, and you can promote it really in any in any platform. Each platform has some advantages and drawbacks. Some of them are underutilized. So if you think about Platforms like Pinterest um, and TikTok are underutilized compared to Instagram, even though Instagram really limits your reach with their algorithm. Uh, So brands that are able to utilize those platforms to identify people that have a big audience and create content that makes sense for those platforms do really, really well. Um, And, you know, we even even saw it with Snapchat where um, influencers were doing stories of, of the games that they were doing. And often that performs and creates a return that's much higher simply because those platforms don't limit your reach as much as Instagram does or your or your target audience as much as Twitch does. Because really, if you're not going after gamers, Twitch is going to be really limited. Right. So if we think about sort of opportunities within the market, it sounds it sounds to me like uh, like you're looking at Pinterest and TikTok really as something that could be leveraged uh, to, uh, uh, to to really gain reach and, and gain some gain some good traction. Yeah, anywhere you always want to fish where you don't want to fish where everybody's fishing, and um, the competition on certain platforms, or you know, in, in Facebook's case or Instagram's case, the the algorithms that they put in place make it a lot harder to get a lot of value. Um, 
And whereas you have hungry platforms like TikTok and uh, Pinterest, and maybe if we talk in three years, you know, this will be completely different right now, that are very eager to work with advertisers, very eager to create um, cases that work and provide a tremendous amount of reach to their influencers without limiting it. So my experience has been that brands that experiment with these platforms um, will reach much larger audiences and can often convert them in a much more efficient way. Um, and have a lot more freedom in what the brand, the platform will let them do for their brand. Um, and specifically, you know, we're, we're talking about gaming, but really this applies to almost any category. If you go beyond just beauty, which influencer, uh, which influencers on Instagram typically dominate, you know, fashion and beauty. But once right. you go to Pinterest or you go to TikTok, there's so much opportunity to go with anywhere from like um, finance to um, real estate, uh, to do it yourself and all kinds of other, other, um, influencers that you just won't find on Twitch or in other places. So I think that this, this is a nice segue as well into, into maybe a little bit of practical advice because our audience is mainly made up of, uh, uh of people in all stratas of, of the marketing world, whether they be UA managers or, or, or VP marketing. Can you give us some, some of your biggest tips for succeeding with influencer marketing? Yeah, I think, you know, number one is really be data driven. It's very easy to fall into the hype. Influencers can very easily create an appearance of being bigger or more successful than they are. Um, so when you when you start talking to influencers, you, one is you want to use a tool that really helps you identify which ones are the ones you should be working with, one that allows you to search for influencers with the right demographics that ensures that their audience is real and active um, and that they haven't acquired a lot of fake followers or are paying for fake engagement. Um, the second is that you really want to be clear about what metrics you're tracking. It's very easy to be excited about the fact that you got this big influencer to promote you and then overlook uh, the original metric or the original KPIs that matter to you and say, well, they're so big, they're going to be successful. I guarantee that um, many of the big influencers are unsuccessful in promotion. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're tracking that so you can understand relatively quickly. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a very straightforward world in that you can't always put a, a link where you want it to be, and tracking isn't as simple, and fraud sometimes sometimes comes in different ways. So you need to be careful about that. And then maybe, um, you know, once you've once you've selected them is really, and, and once you've engaged them is really just measure rigorously. You know, don't do deals that are two years long with the assumption that they'll work. Um, pick a few influencers, see how they perform compared to each other. And even though it's hard to A-B test in this space, at least have an idea of, okay, these are the 10 influencers I've worked with and these two did a lot better than the others and try to understand what made them unique, what was special about what they did that was better than others. Um, and as I answer this, you can also understand why building automation in this space is such a challenging issue sure. because there's so many platforms, there's so many influencers. And it's just not an apples to apples comparison ever. And if we loop it back to to our, the beginning of our conversation, it sounds like the place to start really is with micro influencers, right? To get a taste of what works, understand uh, what might resonate with your audience more in one influencer versus another one, and then work your way up to uh, uh, to mega influencers if 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 you get to that point in your strategy. Yeah, I mean, depending on your identity, obviously, if you work for Nike, you're going to need a lot of micro influencers to move the needle. 
Um, you right. basically need every single person in the category uh, to be with you because um, it, it, it's, you know, it's just not enough. So it may not work for really, if somebody who has a really, really, really big budget, micro-influencers can only be supplementary, but they still need the big names. Um, if you're smaller, for sure, um, micro-influencers give you a much more ability to target your audience. So you'll pick somebody who really talks about the subject and has an audience that's interesting for you and much more flexibility on how you can compensate them and less risk. So 100%, I think you should be starting in that direction, thinking about it that way. And then um, when you've proven or when you found something that works, you can definitely scale it up. Cool. One of the things I loved with, with that strategy, I loved about the hyper platform was that you can measure the audience overlap between your different uh, influencers. I thought that was such a great idea and, and, and such a good way to really be able to identify where things are working and, and to test. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those one of those things where, you know, influencer marketing started with how many followers do, do they have? Then it was how many real followers do they have? Then it was like, okay, if I activate all the Kardashian sisters, I'm going to have 500 million people. And then and then you say, well, yeah, but 80% of them are the same people. So you're really going to have 100 million or, you know, 120 million or whatever that comes up to. And so it's not always as intuitive as it looks, but but the overlap is extremely high. Because, and especially because one of the ways that these influencers grow is by promoting each other. So um, the pool of audience isn't always as big as it appears to be. So that tool was was really meaningful, especially as we started running campaigns that weren't just two or three influencers, but could have had, you know, 100 or 400 influencers involved. You really want to understand if these people are contributing new audiences. I wonder if you can continue that that train of thought then, because you said at some point you were wondering if people had fake followers, then you were looking at if there was overlap between those followers. What do you think is next for influencer marketing? Mm -hmm. I think measurement is is crucial for this to be big and a shift to uh, CPA versus uh, CPMs or CPCs. Um, what's happening really is you have the really big names that, that get a lot of money and they don't really deliver the results. And then you have these smaller guys who are willing to work much harder, but you still don't know how to measure them correctly today because it's harder to um, compensate them on a CPM base uh, without knowing how things will go. And it's not always in their hands. They don't know how much visibility they'll get on the platform for a specific post. I think there's a lot more openness to um, to being compensated for results. Um, so, okay, you got me this many installs, you got me this many sales, you got me this many um, signups to my newsletter. Um, we're seeing significant progress in that area. I'm working with some companies that now activate over thousands of influencers every month with uh, like the affiliate model or with a CPA model and pay out, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars every month, but um, in a way that's much more measurable and, and accessible to them. So I think that's the future of the space, especially as you work with micro influencers. Um, we're at a point where like, if you look at how many people have more than 10 million followers on Instagram, you'll probably maybe find, you know, 250 uh, max, if you go to how many people have more than a million, you'll probably get to 10,000 people or so. If you go to how many people have more than 100,000, you might get, you know, um, over a million people or, or, or three or four million people that fit that that bill. So um, it's much more competitive down there for them to get opportunities. And that allows marketers to dictate the terms. So my gut feeling is we're going to move to CPA. Tools around that are going to evolve and that's great news for marketers who now no longer have to bear the risk of um picking the right person and then you know spending a lot of money on somebody that who's not going to produce results 
Um, but it does create a big opportunity as far as technology and developing measurement uh, tools to ensure and anti-fraud tools to ensure that things are going the right way. Well, that sounds like a familiar arc to me. If I draw a parallel <laughs> to, to, to back to tradi- traditional media, no, I think there's obviously been huge adoption of, of very high caliber performance measurement tools, but there has also been a lag. Uh, if I look at some of the work that we've done with agencies and, and some of the conversations that I've had on this podcast in the past about the sort of slower adoption of blue chip brands of more performance uh, you know, performance marketing, if, if that's really digging deep into data to find conversions, as opposed to the traditional, you know, TV ads or newspaper ads, which are a little bit more, you know, they're harder to measure. Uh, I wonder if you see that same trend in influencer marketing. Is it those smaller, more agile, more tech savvy companies that are faster to adopt this performance marketing model and influencers? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, you're absolutely right. I think one of the challenges of this space has been that there is a large portion of people who have been doing things a certain way for many, many years. That's always worked and there's no reason for them to change it. But we're also experiencing a major proliferation of small businesses, of online stores, of developers in the app store, um, and, and of new brand creators uh, at a level that's never been seen before. Technology is allowing it. You have companies like Shopify, obviously the different app stores and and. Uh, different channels to promote your software that now make it much easier to both build, host, and and market. And that's an opportunity for micro-influencers to work with developers who are, by nature, innovators and, and risk-takers. So we're seeing a significant bump there, but that, that bump doesn't necessarily go immediately to the big brands of the world. With that said, you know, every day, new interns are becoming full-time hires, and they come from a world where they've consumed influencer marketing from since ever they can remember them. That Instagram was around uh, for the majority of their intelligent life, you know, before once they got to like uh, once they were able to get on social. So they're all familiar with it. They know how it influences their decision making. And we're seeing it more and more. Uh, we're seeing more and more success with these bigger brands. We're also seeing those bigger brands threatened by companies that have been really successful with influencers and realizing that if they're not going to start implementing it internally, they'll have to buy these companies, which is which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. So we're definitely seeing, um, especially in like beauty and, and fashion, innovation from companies like L'Oreal, um, Levi's, you know, all these all these big brands that we've I've known, you know, ever since I was a kid and I'm 43 years old now, um, that existed way before I was born really trying to restructure and rebuild uh, how they approach and some of them doing really, really well um, with other companies being slower to adopt, but in my mind, um, losing out on a big opportunity by doing that. Well, it certainly seems like we are in the decade of the influencer and that things, at least from the technological standpoint, are, are going to progress quite quickly. I'd like to touch maybe if you're able to share some uh, some of your angel investments or some of the companies that you've been working with since you uh, since you sold Hyper. Have you? Is there anything that you can you can tell us about that's exciting in this space? New technologies or new companies that you're working with? Yeah, we just uh, a recent investment that's doing really really well. I can't I can't talk full details. A company called Bubble Skincare for Teenagers. We activated um, really aggressively, so we got. 10 uh, TikTokers with over 100 million followers and then about several hundred micro-influencers to launch this product on TikTok. 
Um, you can see it at hellobubble.com and buy it. It's amazing. It's a really amazing product. Um, and sorry for the, for the plug. Um, but, um, it was, it was unbelievable even for us how much traction this got. And within three months, we saw that, uh, we had a third party firm take a look at it and we saw that one in four teenage Americans recognized the brand the image and knew the name of the brand, which was pretty crazy considering we spend zero dollars on anything but activating influencers. Um, and the way that we did it was really interesting. We had uh, content that was shared across the influencers pages. So you had to follow all of them and on, on the bubble page as well. And every day we added more content. So people were kind of watching it like as an episodic um, piece of information from influencers that they really, really love. Um, and even I was, I, you know, I'd done a lot of um, really cool, um, things with influencers. Even I was shocked at how effective it was. You know, another um, in the gaming space a few years ago, I actually worked with a company um, uh, on a game. What was the name of the game? Uh, Ka- um, the name skipping. I, I, I need to look up the name, but uh, what we did was we, we basically took the influencers and we built them into the levels of the game. So they were the bosses, and you had to go beat them. And then if you beat them, and you and you you showed them and you shared um, a picture of yourself beating them, then they would have to do a random task. So it could be anywhere from like call you on on uh, Zoom to um, retweet any tweet that you want to you know it's all kinds of like really fun adventures that we did with these uh, influencers who were like social media influencers. They weren't famous outside of social media. Um, it was insane. The game hit um, 1 million downloads in 24 hours after we launched it. So without any spend whatsoever, you know, without any promotion. So it's really about like doing it very creative. Um, And I'll I'll send you the name. I skipping because it's been a few years. Um, But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really efficient. We try to be super creative. You know, one other company we work with is a company called Evera. Um, which is really cool, which um, is basically kind of a uh, uh, affiliate model for influencers. So influencers can bring other influencers in and sell their products. That company has been growing at a, hasn't spent a dollar on marketing since day one is now generating several millions of dollars a month in sales, all through affiliates and influencers, over 10,000 active uh, micro influencers selling their product on the web, uh, getting compensated for sales. Um, and what they did really, which was really unique, is that they automated the process entirely. You never speak to anyone at the company. You log in. There's a series of videos you can watch that teach you how to sell the product. You get some product for free. You get to try to sell it with no risk. And then once you've sold it, they um, then you know you've proven to yourself that you can do it. And they built this whole in- incentivization. I don't know if there's, that's the word. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, process that really makes sense for influencers, one, to sell it themselves, and two, is convince their friends to, their other influencer friends to sell it. So we're seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of different things with the companies that we work with, but um, the key is that none of them are just paying somebody to post on Instagram and say, hey, you should check out this product or check out the haul that I received, even though that works sometimes. We've seen companies that do well with that. Um, they're They're adding a level of engagement or encouragement for the influencers to really lead to conversion becoming a much more multi-dimensional area of marketing i love the idea of incorporating influencers as bosses and levels and then having them do tasks i think that that's such an out-of-the-box way of thinking of of influencer marketing and and i hope that our listeners are, uh, are 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 taking these sorts of ideas and you can take them back incorporate them with your product teams and really yeah, take we, them forward because it's amazing 
We, I, I just remembered another one that we did. Uh, I can't say the name of the company. It's now worth the company was at the time really small. Now it's worth you know several billion dollars. Uh, not not just not because of this strategy. A lot of things that they did right, but one of the things that they had was a game where you could compete against. Uh, it was kind of a words related fr- a game where you could compete against an influencer. And we chose an influencer that was known for like being very funny with their one liners. Uh, it was a girl. Um, and so, like, when you played against her, at, uh, it, it, we created a bot that would play her, but every once in a while it would really be her, so she would, like, go live and show that she's playing. And then if you lost, like, for example, it would say to you, if you were, it would look at your profile, if you were, like, a guy would say, didn't think you'd wake up this morning and have a girl kick your butt, right? And uh, all kinds of, like, silly, um, silly things, but those things became super viral within her audience. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got this. Um, I got this message from her. And she wrote all the messages, all like the silly like put downs. So it was it was very entertaining, and again got an enormous amount of traffic and engagement because people were trying to trying to unlock all these um, statements that she might say. And you 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 could it was almost like if you lost really really bad, there was a pool of senses she would say. If you won really really bad, there was a pool of things she would say. So you had to play again and again to unlock everything. I love it. That's so that's so great. Gil, I think you've given us some some great insights into how influencer marketing can be leveraged through different platforms and uh, how it should be thought about. And there's definitely been some good practical tips throughout our conversation. I'd like to finish by asking you the same question I ask most of my guests, which is what is a an out of the box marketing campaign influencer or not uh, that's really caught your eye recently? So I'm going to say one that's really uh, um, controversial, but you know, if you remember the Fire Festival, uh, everybody sees it as a major failure. But I think from a marketing perspective, it was literally a genius campaign. If you recall, what they did is they had their influencers all change their Instagram photo. I'll post a, a, at the same time a, an orange square on Instagram. Um, and then they had a lot of uh, videos that were promoting it through these influencers. Yes, they never set up the festival. I, I, you know, that part is really bad. But the the fact that they were able to use social media to drive so many people and create so much excitement around a festival, um, that was real demonstration of how you can use influencers the right way. And um, yes, it, it inspired two feature films, one on Hulu, one on, uh, on uh, Netflix, both of them. Um, really, really criticizing the way that this was organized, but not giving enough credit to how well it was marketed. Great answer. Well, Gil, thank you very, very much for joining us. It's been an insightful conversation. And uh, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me.